So if you guys had to pick, would you rather date one of the sex demons from Possession or one of the sex demons from Trouble Every Day? I think, frankly, I have dated the sex demon from Possession. (laughs) (laughs) It's an easy unwatch for me. I think I had a not fun time. This is probably the most disgusting movie I've ever seen. Welcome to Unwatchables, the podcast for the movies you just can't keep down. Sometimes along with your lunch, I am Mark Dottavio. And I'm Seth Troyer. And today we are kicking off season three with writer and video essayist Jacob Sleezer. We are going way off the grid to tackle the surreal outsider cult films of Damon Packard. First up is his epic vomit-drenched, copyright-infringing magnum opus, 2002's Reflections of Evil followed by his years-in-the-making philosophical sci-fi what's-it, 2012's Oxfur. Vomit noise. First of many vomit noises we're going to hear in this episode. What'd you say? I'll fucking kill you! I'll fucking kill you! (laughs) (laughs) Can we say that like after every sentence in this in this podcast? Oh yeah, sure. This this will make no sense to anyone who hadn't seen these movies, but it will soon. They better find out. Yeah, it will soon. But once again, we are joined by Jacob Sleezer. Uh, others might know you as Sludge Surfer from your YouTube video series, or as Wormy on Letterbox. Um, so thank you for joining us and bringing these these wonderful, delightful cinematic uh, experiments to our purview here, but I want to hear a little bit about your video series because uh, I was going through the channel and checking out some videos. I uh, watched the one that was about, uh, how did you put it? Like Gremlins knockoffs, basically. Right. Yeah. My tier list. That's my favorite one. Really? Okay. I'm pulling for the YouTube juice. It's it's totally worth pulling for it. You know, don't do what you're interested in. Do tier lists, do YouTube trends. That's what, that's where it's at. <laughs> I'm telling you. Now you can tell when it's clickbait, and this is this is definitely not that. As soon as they make money, I'm getting my Funko Pop collection behind me and my camera for sure. Yeah, so absolutely. Don't get your hopes up. <laughs> no, but no. I, hey, hey, that is so much love. I, I, it's funny that people are even talking about my YouTube channel. I've, I've only been working on it like a couple years. It's just like uh, it was a point in time where it's like I felt sort of almost i mean i don't want to be too like catchphrasey but like consumerist in the way i was just like just constantly consuming movies as though and like feeling like i'm participating in the art somehow so it's like i'm not gonna i'm not really in a position to make a movie but like i really do want to talk about them and just try to basically just highlight what i like about them and just see what other people how other people relate to that but um, I mean, I it's I wanted to make sure there's there's a huge market of like YouTubers who like their whole market is like being angry at movies, 
You know, like right. like this movie is so bad and I am so mad. And I, so, I was like, but no, 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 no. Don't act like it. You're making a video about it because you had fun with it and you want to show people, right? It's like, to, you know, edge on that angle. Like there's something to love and appreciate in all these movies. And and, and that's basically what I like is his singularity, you know, which, which contributes to the Damon Packard. Like um in terms of like why you might find like obscure stuff like there's people who know way more obscure stuff than me but um uh it's my my favorite type of filmmaker is what i would call an outsider right and an outsider artist and you know so there's like there's a the art.org here i actually pulled it because i wanted to make sure because all these people don't even know what an outsider is or they have different uh definitions but like so it says the work of artists who demonstrate little influence from mainstream art world and who are instead motivated by the unique personal visions, which maybe sounds kind of banal, but I feel like, like, you know, the people I like the most embody that. And, and that's just what I favor. Cause you know, I, I don't have a hard time respecting like, or even loving like studio stuff, but I, I do feel like there's kind of like this, like bit of an excitement plateau for me with, with what's going on and, Maybe that's just because I haven't like kept up with what's hot and new in a while. So I could just be totally ignorant. But like you have to admit that like if you're officially in like the cinema money game, like whether you want to be or not, like, you know, there's people who reluctantly participate in that. So people who relish in that. But if you're in it at all, the chances are that things of, you know, the chances of things being derivative or having a specific audience that you're trying to appeal to and all of that, it's it's going to happen more. It's just going to. And, and it's not always a bad thing. But yeah, that's something that definitely comes to mind with this, with these kinds of movies and especially the, this movie. Uh, reflections of evil because it does call out he's like in a lot of his movies he's calling out like uh hollywood and spielberg and things like that and bring them into the movie kind of and using like music that he's not allowed to use and things like that and mm -hmm. i think yeah like i like what you're saying about the you know the money-making machine of hollywood and there there is like I, I i love both sides like i love noise music and i love Go, go in to see an orchestra and I think both are valid and do different things for different people. That's really all it is. But I think a lot of people f forget it in movies because it is just so like one of the best things that ever happened to movies. And one of the worst things is the, the Hollywood thing that it started to make so much money and it became and still is kind of seen that way as even though like cameras and editing equipment is more readily available than ever it is still seen as this thing like well you can't do that and like well if it's only has like a few thousand views on youtube it can't be a real movie or something you know like like the idea of a real movie is yeah. still like this, this like weird thing to try and communicate to people well and back in the early 2000s that would have been the tipping point for where mm -hmm, consumer-grade mm -hmm. cameras were starting to become more common and easier to get, even though this was, it, uh, Reflections of Evil was shot on 16 millimeters, so that would have that definitely been a lot more expensive. And it kind of surprised me that this wasn't one of those movies that has that early DV kind of consumer-grade look to it, because he did actually shoot this on film. But, you know, there was no YouTube back then, and when we're talking about reflections of evil, like he just made it and pressed like 20,000 DVDs himself. Uh, if, if I remember correctly. And, uh, like you said, this is 
there's so much copyrighted material in this that there was no way that there was they were going to be able to actually you know commercially release this and even if there you took all that stuff out still what remains would not have been commercially releasable really either right the soundtrack consists of like planet of the apes soundtrack and like et oh, we got the mission impossible theme we got clips from lord of the rings and the star wars prequels the tony curtis intro yes oh i love tony curtis intro oh that that dubbing oh it's beautiful it's hilarious let me give us a little background for anybody who doesn't know what damon packard is all about um because you can't like you're probably going to watch these movies on youtube if you watch them um they are actually on tubi which that kind of made me wonder is 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 that okay is that because they don't charge anything on tubi that you can have all of this stuff you know i've i uh i, I heard in an interview he he he's never had any legal trouble from that angle um and a, i think the whole theory is literally just that nobody cares about or knows what he's doing yeah that's the spot <laughs> the bottom line they would have to smell money yeah yeah exactly i think tubi is a pretty lawless place anyway so that's true there's some weird it's a kind of a wild west still over in tubi but uh yeah, this guy, he actually was born in Akron, which is where Seth and I are right now. Yes, yes. I didn't know that. Whoa. Yeah, isn't that crazy? I mean, he moved He moved to L.A. at some point, but... I was wondering if that was why you chose him, but... No, that's why Mark's the, the king of the host. I'm just a little baby host. Yeah, man, him and, <laughs> him and Devo are Akron's uh, cultural legacy, uh, and maybe the Black Keys, but... Yeah. <laughs> So, uh, and he just, like, he made short films and stuff. He was really basically just this guy who suddenly inherited a bunch of money from a relative who died and used it to make this movie on 16 millimeter, uh, pretty much, you know, by himself and whoever was there around to help him. And I don't know, judging from what we see on screen, I'm guessing the inheritance was like around $50 or so, but... Mark, I'm going to kill you. I'm going to kill you. We'll see. There, I guess there's some... There's some money that uh, he's using film. See. Well, that's the main thing. That's the main thing. Yeah. So, well, no. So, I, what I understand is a lot of that budget went to DVD pressings. And do you know the backstory about what sense. happened with those? No. So yeah. Okay. So I, I just got to say because I don't want to. Uh, I want to be honest here because there's this awesome. It, it's linked to the, as a reference in his Wikipedia page. But there's this amazing article written by a Casey McKinney. Uh, the title of it's Lost in the 70s, The Art of Damon Packard. And this is somebody who, uh, there's a handful of people who have done this. I, I, okay, I don't belabor this too much, but they uh, met with them and wrote this article. It's a really well-written article, very extensive, interviewed several people who are uh, contemporaries who know him, Damon Packard. Um, so I'm getting that out of the way. But um, a part of that was just talking about how um, he would send this to these DVDs to every person in Hollywood, any name he could think of, stacks of them. He would leave them outside a movie, like production houses, and was just like tr trying to force his way into being seen by other directors and people in the industry. And I think that's what he spent a lot of his money on. He would pay people to, to disperse these. Like he would, he like it was just, yeah, it was like intense. He thought like a big Hollywood producer was going to see this and and say, man. <laughs> This is our guy. Yeah. We've got to give him millions. Rags to riches story. Typical rags to riches. Yeah. <laughs> rags to rags. Rags to rags. Yeah. <laughs> uh, temporary riches that he then blew on this, on making this movie. But, you know, that's what the guy who made uh, Begotten did. I, 
I can't remember his name now. Um, he oh, yeah, was, that was like, also doing um, little screenings and sending it around. And then at some point, Susan Sontag ended up seeing it and then giving him this quote, like claiming that it was one of the most important, you know, 10 most important movies of the century or something. And right. that's all over the DVD covers now. Wow, Susan Sontag said that? I believe it was her. Wow, no, I'm just... We'll have Tony edit that out if I get that wrong. That's a hot take, yeah. She's a wild bitch. So maybe he was hoping for something like that. Uh, yeah, I, I feel like it's indicative of this type of, like, detachment from society and, like, how films are, like, distributed. I, I It's either that or, like, here's the other thing. I, I want to ask you this, because I, I meant to ask this up top. I want to... Uh, have either of you ever watched anything by him before this? Uh, I mean... Not me. Yeah, I had seen this, like, a year ago when I saw it on your... A couple years ago, I guess, at this point, when I saw it on your letterbox. Have you seen anything else by him? I've seen the Untitled Star Wars documentary, mockumentary. Yeah, okay. And some of his random... I guess he's really into the, like, AI-generated movies now. Yeah, since COVID. That tracks. They're really crazy. It's like... Uh, like Kate Bush in The Wizard of Oz or something. And then it's like John Carpenter smoking cigarettes. You're right. I so, I mean, yeah, see, this is the thing is you can see these themes in everything he does. There's just these subtexts that just are repeating over and over again. Anyway, the reason I asked was, uh, you know, the Star Wars mockumentaries one. But then another one, it's just like we're at a point where it's like, like his experimental edge with like there's a movie he made called Tales from the Valley of the Wind, which is just like a total like Nausicaa in the Valley of the Wind knockoff, you know, the Hayao Miyazaki movie. And it's just the music, the characters, he even just splices footage into them. Anyway, so that's that's an aside I could say for a side. But the reason I bring all this up, the Star Wars mockumentary and stuff like that, like these are these things that he does. He is sending that and he made sure that George Lucas saw those movies. Uh, or I saw the Star Wars documentary, and uh, he believes he has seen it. And, and I believe his intention for sending it to him is to troll him. That's like, like, so it's like, I can't figure out what his intentions are. You know, I, I don't think he was expecting him to be impressed. There is kind of a trolling aspect to him, isn't there? There's an antagonistic quality, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah I think that's apt, yeah. There's signs throughout these movies that he would be capable of putting something normal together that's, He's not like a Tommy Wiseau or Neil Breen or uh, Birdemic or those movies. Those are movies that are trying to look or act like a normal movie. And these are deliberately not trying to do that. And, you know, whether you find that to be interesting or entertaining or get anything out of it is a whole other question. But it does seem like he's he is purposefully poking at something or, you know, flipping the bird to whoever, whether maybe it's Spielberg in this movie, maybe it's the viewer sometimes, maybe it's just to the industry as a whole that he's going to be as deliberately alienating as he can. This movie seems like a, and we'll get into the sound and how it works, but I think like I, I used noise music as an example to compare to it. And I think it's pretty apt because it does. Yeah, it's good. It feels more like that in the way that noise music to some people is just noise. And it is like, a purposeful gesture towards, I don't know, yeah, breaking the rules on purpose, making you uncomfortable on purpose, like, and not just in like a horror movie, like kind of way, like freaking you out. Like we're talking about disgusting scenes and uncomfortable scenes that are 
like also using time and length because this is also like a two and a half hour movie and making it so that at some points you cannot enjoy it. Like it is purposefully trying to alienate you in a certain way. And there is, I, I could, un, the, the question always is like with a lot of these movies that we cover on this podcast is like, why would anybody actually want to do that? I say it's the same thing about like noise or metal music. Like, well, yeah, the whole purpose is that it's gross and scary and kind of annoys my ears in some regard. I do think, I do think it's more complicated than that because I do think he's using this, money that he got and he 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 is a lover of art he wants to put something out there that is bold and big too i think there is some real ambition i don't think this one at least is not just trolling there is some really real real heft behind it yeah i i know i think the art uh, uh the noise comparison is compare uh, is is apt because it is it, you know i've always associated noise i actually like noise music too some and and like harsh noise and stuff is it just creates this environment of stress that you can almost identify with in your worst moments you know and there's just a catharsis that comes out and I, I really, I really do like. Now, this isn't like me, like like trauma dumping or whatever. But I do have OCD, like this, like this. The, it, they call it the big O, where it's like I'm not as compulsive, or I'm not gonna like touch handles and stuff over and over again. But my brain is gonna ruminate and perseverate on things. Um, now, when I'm underslept and I'm trying to fall asleep, and I'm in like those lower level of REM, you know, sleep levels, this is exactly what goes on in my brain: it, repeating <laughs> sounds that you've heard throughout the day, repeating things that caused emotion in you throughout the day on like this, like, like loop tape, like just insanity. And I, I it seriously speaks a language that I felt so like seen by. Um, and, and I honestly, I, there's a lot of this I, over time as I'm thinking about this, like, I'm glad that actually you, you ha I wanted to talk about this because it, it yeah, you kind of need a reason to revisit these movies. Cause like, like you said, it's like, the reality is, is his movies, depending on your mood, like if you're in that perfect mood, okay, you're going to have a blast, I suppose, but they're really, they're not exactly fun movies to watch like it's it's a labor of love it's a labor of fascination i like i would consider him like he inspires like like a confused curiosity you know it, it, it's like the confusion comes first and the curiosity comes second with him um but yeah he it's it's super intense and um and, and i just feel yeah I, and i feel like it really i mean if you learn more and more about this guy like he is such a curmudgeon like he is, he, I don't know if you've ever listened to interviews with him, but he, he likes what he likes and hates everything else. Like he, he really, like the antagonistic element is like, there's, it's definitely there. Like he's pretty mad about existence. <laughs> I do get that vibe from him because. Yes. And this is about his anger. Yeah, it is a little, it's aggressive that there's the sound effects in this. So first of all, it seems to me that pretty much all of the dialogue is dubbed here. And sometimes he will, will just randomly give somebody a pitched up chickmunk squeak voice uh, for, you know, for no discernible reason. Lots of like close mic clipping. Mm -hmm. Like whenever there's a black uh, character walking around, you can tell it's just him or someone else going like, hey, my brother. And mm -hmm. <laughs> you, the sound design immediately is like, the first scene, some guy gets up out of a chair and then it's just a deafening yes, of him getting yeah. off of it. And the whole movie has these sound effects dubbed over that are just overbearing. And there's so much of him eating stuff. 
that all of a sudden will be so much louder than the dialogue. Oh, chomping and slurping. Yeah, it gets annoying. <laughs> but before I go on further about the method here, do you think, do you think, Jacob, that you could, I challenge you if you could give us a, a summary, a plot, not like a scene by scene summary, but just a general plot description with no more than a few sentences, because normally I'll do that and I am totally outsourcing this yeah. one. <laughs> Sure. Because this is a, not an easy movie to describe. Okay. No, I'm, I'm glad you asked. Okay. So I, I, I try, I really tried to sit down because honestly, the first time I watched it and rated, I gave it a high rating and everything. And I don't know if I could have answered that question, but this time I'm forcing myself, like, I'm going to try to figure this out. Now, um, it's, uh, this article and I'm not sure, I don't remember, was it this article that I referred to the lost in the seventies? It's, um, but it, it they compared this movie to like a Dante's Inferno, which I think is kind of apt. And the fact that there's like these stages that you enter into and it's just this like, um, like, like kind of almost psychedelic kind of like just imagery, you know, and, and it represents these phases. So it's like, it starts out. Right. And so, okay, I should say this. He, um, this is largely biographical um, in the fact that uh, he used to sell watches on the street for real. He used to sleep in his car. um, And uh, he, uh, in in that this is basically, it's supposed to be like a parody of his internal mindset at his worst stage in life or something like that. I don't want to use too many words because I mean, I want, I'd rather him describe it, but he did describe it at some point that way. And so like this, like, here he's he's just like has like you know 10 pairs of dirty headphones around his neck five pairs of jackets sweatshirts tied around his you know waist it's just like this parody of disheveledness because the thing is is even you know as time's gone on um he's he's continued to dress as though he's like borderline homeless and that's just the way he lives and i mean he basically does live in poverty you know he lives in poverty for his art you know so there's anyway, there's just so I, I it's so easy to get rabbit trailed on this because there's just so many subtacts and elements. And this character is played by Packard himself, we should point out. Yeah, and he's he's obese. He, he, he's his shirt stuffed comically with with towels and pillows and what it looks like an actual like square pillow yes. is in his belly. It's citizen citizen Kane. It's citizen Kane. Well, it's like intentionally so. And that's like something that actually repeats in Foxford too. It's kind of funny how he just does these things. It's like why why do you want it to look like that there's something there you got it's just there's so many things to you know just like ruminate on with him you know there's the phases of him uh just like you know the the poverty living in his car trying to sell watches i have to say like you know a lot of this is in terms of like the audio you know and the dubbing and stuff like that that you brought up like this was largely guerrilla filming like on the street with real strangers some of these people may not even have known they were being filmed right yeah he also was not going to go out of his way to get releases from all these people just like he wasn't going to get permission to use we've only just begun yeah there's kind of like a jackass quality to the movie where he is like antagonizing people at certain points or like probably just running up to someone and being like Hey, you want to be in a movie real fast? And they probably like barely know. And they like gives them a line and says, I don't know. Just yell at me. Just just fucking yell at me or something. There is like a really intense quality to the interactions. Yeah. And he like even like showed up at like a playground at one point, like pl- like kicking a ball that kids are playing with and stuff like that. And yes. Just, like <laughs> giant 
fat cell hum- like homeless setup. There's like almost this like he's like putting himself in those situations to be seen on film, even though he knows he hates these interactions or something like that, you know? Yeah, and none of this stuff is very coherent. I would say that instead of it playing out like a real narrative is going on, it's more like, it's like half the movie is basically him just walking around selling watches, getting hassled, yelling at strangers or watching strangers yell at each other. And there's a lot, a lot, a lot of that. And, or him being at home with his mom and his mom yelling at him. It just kind of goes in circles for a while with that stuff. Right, it's his looping hell, yeah. Yes, purgatorial. We have this distinct kind of, I guess, flashback, which some unknown characters seem to be watching on TV for some reason. Uh, of him in his childhood and we see his sister on a tour bus visiting Hollywood or something like that. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm sorry. I totally just like realized you asked me to like give me my, my, my spot on the, the summary of the plot. Cause uh, yeah, there's all these things. I'm just totally getting honed in right away, but no, I think we're doing good. There's this uh, woman in a, like a nightgown that is revealed sometimes through trailers. Fascinatingly enough. Sometimes uh, it's an actress he's paying to be in the movie, but there's a woman who shows up in a dress and it's revealed to be his sister later on, right? And uh, his mom shows up and he's a child again. And then the the, the movie uh, really shifts when chemtrails show up, which is another kind of Packard hallmark. I don't know if you all caught that. That there's this, you know, scene, he, he goes into these dreams and stuff, which are just characterized by just these chaotic trailers and noise and hallucinatory things. And then all of a sudden there's like George Bush on the newspaper talk uh, with the headline about chemtrails. And there's all these shots of chemtrails in the sky. Right. And everything goes to hell. Right. And if it becomes awful, as people are the dogs, all the dog noises and like these like Ligeti drones and things like that, like things start to going really hellish at that point. I think the actual uh, newspaper clipping says George Bush admits chemtrails. I wrote it down. It's amazing. Yeah, it's I know. So I love awesome. that. <laughs> you like zoom in on a newspaper and yeah. that's what it says. <laughs> I know. I love that. Yeah. And all this stuff, it doesn't necessarily come together in a coherent way so if it sounds like we're well, that's mark's opinion not giving a good picture of what the movie is like it really is messy to me the movie does seem to have like instead of necessarily a forward momentum it's we have all the different scenes of him wandering around the city and then all of a sudden we have a long sequence where he's in his mom's house and she's looking for him then we have a long sequence that's the golden guru showing up and we have his sister in this whole big, this full psychedelic song plays and everyone's in Halloween store wigs and seventies costumes. Crosby, Stills and Nash. That was a good reminder that that song rips. Wooden ships or whatever. I know. Rip. Yeah. I was like, who is this? Crosby, Stills and Nash, baby. So exciting. But yeah, she gets into PCP. Yeah. Oh, right, right, and right. she's like, mom, it's PCP. You don't understand, you know, and it's very <laughs> 70s. And the, the shooting it on film really works so well. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I, I mean, Absolutely. I could say it's messy, but it is like, if you like being blown around in a tornado, like I apparently do, you'll like you like this, I guess. It's deliberate for sure. And it seems like a climax is starting to happen there when he s- steals a police car and then he ends up at Universal Studios. That's like the climax. That is. But it does feel to me like it's moving from one, just one big section to another big section. You could almost sh- 
except for maybe the ending. You could pretty much shuffle all the scenes in this movie and have pretty much the same experience, however it ended up. That was my impression. Oh, it wouldn't be the same experience at all. It would be very different if I think it would rearranged like the way the, uh, the the way it starts to build and culminate. But there are so many different scenes of him just walking around yelling and fighting with people that it's like, well, does it really matter if we're seeing the one that's an hour in or a one that's two hours in or a one that's a half hour in? Oh, yeah. I just mean like where he places the sister and the flashbacks and things like that. And also, like, I can't go any further without stressing the fact that this first chunk of the movie, at least, is like, show it to your friends hilarious, I think. Oh, my gosh, yeah. It is disturbing and, like, kind of horrifying and possibly questionable at certain points. But it is, like, hilarious. These, like, ridiculous sounds that you're hearing, and he's just, like, looks so stupid and everything is just constant like i have a knife i want to kill you i want to kill you too i want to kill you right now i fucking hate you yeah. i fucking hate you and then like him going home <laughs> eating, and he sounds like a he's eating a gazelle or something like it's just nuts packard's sense of humor i really picked up on like it's so it's, it's so strange to me because he seems so detached from like other humans and like relating to them in so many ways like i'm speaking from somebody who's like you know listen to a lot of interviews with him and try to listen to him talk and stuff like that it's so weird to me how he has such a very sophisticated sense of humor that is so uniquely his honestly i feel like like his true art is is mostly in the editing um and there's a lot I want to say about that, but like to, to the point about it being funny, like like his head splatting and like those like those like perfectly kinetically timed like uh, blood splats. I don't know if you remember those and like the puking pea soup and mm-hmm. uh, yeah, it's just it's it, things start to glow for for out of yeah, nowhere, yeah, you know, like in super intense lens flares and stuff like that. Like I just think like he kind of thinks it's funny. Like I don't know, he just has this weird sense of humor that. I really caught big time watching it this time around. Definitely. And I think actually that is used to maybe better effect in Foxford, but we'll save that uh, for a little later. But that's the thing about this movie is that it is 138 minutes and he did make a shorter version of it. That's like 20, 25 minutes shorter, which I kind of was wish that I had watched that one, but I'm glad that I got the whole experience, I guess, with this. Um, cause there is a real like repetitiveness to this, this movie and it's within scenes it's in the sense that something will be happening that I kind of got the point of within, you know, three or four minutes, but it, the scene will always go on for like 10 or 15 or 20 minutes. But then also the movie as a whole, the way that it keeps circling back to, to him walking around and and stuff. There really is a, a sense of repetition in here that I wonder if that's what he was trying to correct a little bit with the shorter version. Because I heard that it's mostly the same, but the scenes are shorter and edited a little bit differently. So have you seen, has anybody seen the shorter version of this? I, I've never actually looked for it. I mean, it was like I said, like I watched this once and I watched the long version and it's like, well, I'm not going to rewatch it again. It's like, <laughs> yeah. It was hard. It's like 20 minutes or not, like, you know. Right. <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, I, it's kind of funny because he's like kind of strangely self-deprecatory about that. Like when he talks about this, he's just like, I don't know how anyone likes this movie. It's like, well, you made it, dude. Like, why did you make it that way in the first place? Um, but honestly, okay, I'll just say this is like, <laughs> 
one big reason why I love outsider people is because they're going to give you an experience that no one else is going to give you. Like you're not going to know what to expect. And like, I feel like there's a labor of love to like forcing yourself to sit through this, like sitting through like a Merzbow album or something like that. You know, it's like, you're not going to exactly have fun. Okay. But you're going to like be wiser after it for some reason. I don't know why, but it just feel you just, it's like, there's something like that has been communicated to you now that you didn't have before. And it's just, it's a labor of love, you know? Yeah. I've been, I've been through something a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I, I suffered for this. Right. And my main thing is I get, I get it. The repetitious nature and like, the point of that when it comes to the street scenes, which are, you know, most of the movie. And I think that those like do work for me being so repetitive and, and it creates that, that hell loop that the, that feeling that like, this is this guy's life. And like, we're not going to just like other movies dress it up in this way that is like, well, you know, even though it's about terrible things, it's gotta be entertaining. Right. It's like, and it is for me, it is entertaining. Like even up to like, the two hour mark like him getting attacked by those dogs for like for like what feels like 10 minutes is still like pretty funny to me the points that lose me are some of the which on paper seem like more fun like the the scenes with young steven spielberg like he happens upon you know, he's like young he's on the universal lot and he sees young steven spielberg filming this episode of a tv show which is like funny for a sec and then it goes on too long. A lot of the like 70s flashbacks, I really enjoy visually, but after a while they wind up just going on and on and on kind of. No, yeah, they do, but I you know, again, I I I think it's just that that purgatorial feeling, you know, like like he he's he's communicating it in just a harder lined way than other people are willing to, you know. They they want their audience to be entertained. I don't still think he cares. Well, obviously he does care. He's just like like I said, he's just like, well, why I don't know why this goes on way too long. It's like that's he the knows, point, but yeah. still, oh my gosh. <laughs> so it's like um, but you know. Something I want to say, I mean, in terms of like, as we kind of describe this, it's like this, this idea of like him just being like this weird experimental type person. And it's like someone that we've seen a lot of, um, like, I guess in my mind, like, since I'm, I guess, making myself the arbiter of outsider art, like, uh, being an outsider is kind of a nuanced thing. Cause I, I really don't really want to see just like winky weird shit either, you know? Like, I don't want to, like, like people make bizarro, confusing, artsy, experimental stuff like all the time. Um, maybe even sometimes like just trying to like just fabricate like this outsider title for themselves. And I don't want to like denigrate all the cinema here, but like, I do think that like experimental cinema scene or even like scenester punk art stuff can all suffer from some of these same problems that studio movies do. And like, like these Damon Packard movies are like very clearly detached from those scenes in a way. Like, um, it, it feels it feels like you can tell that these ideas of his are like coming from like a very raw and like unpretentious place in Damon Packard's soul. Like what could argue that his taste in movies is un- is pretentious in a way because he hates anything that didn't come out in like the early eighties and seventies, but his movies feel like they almost came out of like his body in some fucked up way. Like, like he has like unvoluntary like secretions that came out of him or something, you know? Yeah. It does seem like he's not making these for, anybody except 
to just put his, his uh, whatever is striking him in the moment out there. And, and I totally agree that that's something that can be a pitfall, obviously, when you're, if you're really just making something for your uh, self and not necessarily being concerned about what that's communicating to anybody else. And, uh, and just in general, this kind of thing, like typically just isn't my thing. Um, but so I do want to, I did want to challenge myself though, to like find positive things to say about it. And there actually <laughs> were like two specific sequences that I think show actually accomplish something that like seems to me like promising from a filmmaking standpoint. The first one was that early scene that's at his mother's house where there's a storm outside and there's this lighting that's flickering and uh, he, his mother is looking for him and it's intercutting that with these movie clips from the TV. And there's this strange, like inexplicable moving like pile of trash or something on the ground. That's that you can't quite tell what it is that's moving by itself. And the whole sequence, like everything else is too long. It like everything else, it, it just, just keeps going on and on and on. But I could tell like, you know, this is actually kind of eerie and atmospheric and there's actually something going on here. It's not something that, you know, Tommy Wiseau could ever pull off. Um, but for me, the my favorite part of the whole movie is actually one of those walking around neighborhood scenes, which I don't think are all necessarily this interchangeable quality wise, because right after we get this title card that says chapter three. Total Madness and Beyond right. the Infinite, which I can only assume is a 2001 <laughs> illusion. And also there's no other so. chapter markings if I, unless I missed them. So that's kind of random. This is structured like 2001, guys. I just noticed this is exactly what this is structured. Okay, I'm sorry. Continue your thought. Sure, yeah, why not? Uh, but basically that particular scene that we've mentioned a few times where he's going through this neighborhood and it seems to be populated entirely by people who are walking giant Dobermans. <laughs> that are all barking directly at him and lunging at him. And there's shots where all of a sudden they're all like crowding together, coming after him and people are fighting and there's helicopters going around the sky. And it seemed to me like maybe the, the only part of the movie that like the absurdity is actually mounting and creating an anxiety that it kind of, I don't know if you saw Bo is afraid from this uh, past year, the new Ari Aster movie, which I didn't, I didn't care for as a whole, but the first hour is like filled with these banal hassles that are amped up to this really surreal degree, uh, almost like in Darren Aronofsky's mother. Uh, and it kind of put me in mind of that. Like this actually was building this cacophony and this, this really absurdist kind of thing where everything is constantly coming at him in a way that the other scenes of him walking around seemed a little more random like it was just kind of flinging the weirdness out erratically and maybe because there's so much of it that also took away but for this little period i was like wow i'm actually getting kind of uncomfortable here but not just in a way where i'm exhausted you know watching this i was actually feeling yeah, like dissonance and tension and uh i think you could take that out and that could be a cool little short maybe yeah i i want to um i feel like for him, like a repetition, like I, I want to say like his main language is like the editing and, you know, all this that the layering of things like that. And that it's kind of like I, mean, I would almost call it, you know, like symphonic, like maybe that's like too, too generous. But like um, 
you'll have he'll have these motifs and themes that he just retextures with layers of intensity. Like there's like this Ligeti music that he, you know, Georgie Ligeti music they'd play that was from Eyes Wide Shut. Which I gotta tell you guys, like, I was this f- fucked me up because I watched Eyes Wide Shut right before uh, for the first time in like a decade. Right before. Uh, I watched this. I mean, it was a day before, but, <laughs> and, and I'm sitting there watching that. And I think I'm losing my absolute mind when this like Ligeti theme that played all throughout Eyes Wide Shut starts playing. Oh, that's crazy. And I'm just like, <laughs> but I feel like that was like, oh, oh my gosh. Like so Damon Packard absolutely got me there. Cause he like totally put me right there in like Eyes Wide Shut world with Damon Packard's heaving body slobbering down the street. Like these drones too. I mean, there's just these things. It's like you have to really rewatch and pay attention to see, feel what's going on. But it's like, that's, that's where I, maybe where I feel like he has some value in the repetition and the fact that you, you can sense little textural differences in the way the sound is being used and the speed and stuff like that. But I totally agree with you. Those scenes are amazing. Like that was that probably that, that scene with his mother and the night and the wind and the, frocked christmas tree and that was probably one of my favorite scenes in that movie yeah and i think i also want to make sure we give a little time to the whole universal studios interlude because he clearly just snuck a camera in there like escape from tomorrow style uh that's that's the film where they surreptitiously film the whole thing inside disney world and like he clearly he goes through this whole et ride and it is this weird time capsule too because you get to see like who knows, maybe the only footage out there of somebody just walking through this attraction. It's bizarre. There's so many, there's so much E.T. lore that no one knows about. It's on this ride of just like E.T. wizards and they, they're they like, you're going to E.T.'s home planet and shit. And it's it definitely has like weird psychedelic like colors that pop out that he puts in the movie. It That one is really exciting just to be like a fly on the wall of this, you know, moment in time, which is like a fun part of this movie too. You like constantly are seeing billboards of Mrs. Congeniality, which is so fucking funny uh, like in the background. But uh, yeah, that also gets like punishing, like to the point of like, you know, he's, maybe he's being a little precious with just how much of the ride we need to see. Uh, <laughs> but I do like it as a climax of it being this like, wild center of his nostalgia perhaps of like which is sort of what he partially getting at with the movie is like finding that inner maybe his like inner child to put it in like the simplest mom terms you know it all it all connects to me you know afterlife ocd you know universal studios it all connects in some weird diet you know weird way it's also hard for me not to see this as a swipe at Spielberg because <laughs> afterwards he goes on to the Schindler's List ride, which is yes. such an overt joke that almost seems like a different style yeah, of joke out. than is in this movie generally. Uh, and no, I wonder, is he just being absurd or are we supposed to be drawing some line from the, the young Spielberg who has this accidental explosion on his set and says to keep filming even though it looks like people are getting killed and now it's universal studios and there's a schindler's list ride which again i'm pretty sure i heard he got a lifetime ban from universal studios because (laughs) besides the fact that he's showing that they have a schindler's list ride and he actually gets a shot of a guy like in a nazi uniform like guiding people out of a train yeah Uh, (laughs) there's also a scene where people are being thrown off of the roller coasters and like splattering over the ground so 
I would maybe Universal Studios would be the ones who really would rather sue him over this than anybody else. That is the lore. He did, he did get the ban, and he showed a lot of footage too, though. It's and uh, you know, I just wish he just said it's for my family, but I guess it's probably impossible to yeah. make that call when you look like him. But um, <laughs> and you have like these fake dead bodies. <laughs> That guy was already in a Nazi uniform. You know, I know it was laying around. Yeah. And you know, I think these might be the most obscure movies that we've talked about yet on the podcast in the sense that they actually don't have Wikipedia pages, which I found surprising. Uh, there is one for Damon Packard himself, but I'm surprised that he never made one. Maybe. Maybe it takes more than one person to do that. But uh, um, so in that sense, and that. I guess these being on Tubi makes it a little more accessible, but these really seem like the kind of movies that you would only watch on YouTube, you know, and you definitely aren't going to be able to see it at like a screening anywhere. It shows, you know, shows up at a couple of festivals, but you know, you gotta be, you know, obscure, but he just like, it's totally detached from this idea of being palatable and understandable to other people or, or how his movies would be received by the average person. It feels like he has no idea. Like maybe he was thinking like these big studio, they're going to see this and want to make a movie with him. But it's like, that would never happen. It would never, like he wouldn't allow it. Damon Packard himself wouldn't allow it because they, they have expectations. He can't live up to obviously, in my opinion. Well, yeah. And that's kind of an open question is exactly how much of this is him being a deliberate provocateur and how much is, him maybe actually being kind of a uh, delusional or or unable to, you know, thinking that he was going to make something like Mad Max and then just not having any idea how to do it. But but also it doesn't really seem like he's trying, I would imagine, from what you're talking about. So it is blurred a little bit, you know, is all of this a hundred percent his vision, like he wants it to be this way, or he just can't do anything else. I think there's a real desperation here. Like that seems very apparent to me. Like, I think there is a real artist behind him who has, has visions he wants to get out into the world. And he's very excited about that. But I think he is like aware that he's getting on in years. And again, like, seeing just like how unlikely his dream might be or so i think they're there he's like having sort of this crisis like i mean he's he's blowing so much money that he's he has received that anyone would be like okay now i can get a house and create a life for myself but instead he's creating reflections of evil which is this like yeah it's kind of like he's kind of having a freak out and in a very real way like this movie is his like mental breakdown sort of i think even if he is you know talking about it as a lark or something that is that's a big move to use those that kind of money on this yeah i agree i mean it's, it's, it's something maybe not well with him i don't want to be too condemning or you know judgmental but it's yeah something unrestful about him yeah that's why i think it's hard to separate you know the consider the movie completely in a vacuum outside of what is going on with a guy who would make uh, something like this. And that's all interesting stuff. But uh, I want to give everyone a chance, just in case there's anything that we didn't get to, you wanted to say about this specific movie before we move on to Foxfur. Um, we do, at the end of each episode, if it's not clear, have each person say whether they would unwatch a movie if they could, but with uh, whatever, for whatever reason or whatever your definition might be of unwatching something. Um, 
uh, for for me on the scale of things that I would put under that category, I guess I would put this on the unwatch on my little official list. Ding, ding, ding. Yay. Which doesn't mean that it's not it's not fascinating. It's more a reflection of just of evil. You know, this kind of deliberately um amateurish and off-putting thing isn't totally to my taste. I think there's a lot of, you know, there are a lot of motifs and signifiers in there, whether it's the Fox News clips or the movie references that will give people who want to plenty to read into and probably, you know, write some big essay about the the different things going on in this movie. And uh, it, it's the exhaustingness of the experience, the interminability of it was was uh I, I guess made me glad that I can say that I saw it and have this conversation about it. But yeah, I'm definitely not gonna be checking out the shorter cut or the even extended longer director's cut that who knows could come out one day. But uh Seth, why don't we go to you and then we'll let Jacob uh, finish us out on this one. I go uh I, I'm definitely not unwatching it. I think it's one of the most uh, idiosyncratic things that I've seen. I don't know, just like out of sheer, just like nothing else on the shelf is quite like this one. Um, That being said, like one of my main things about it, as much as I am a viewer who's pretty adventurous and ready to dive into and experience the two and a half hour version. And I understand, I don't know. I'm exposed to like intense art sometimes and music and noise and metal music that I compared to it already that like is about endurance and is about punishment kind of there. On the other hand, I I do kind of I'm kind of curious about the shorter version or maybe even like a shorter, shorter version out of just the sense that I can see in here that this could be like a pretty awesome midnight movie for like people who are kind of you know maybe not as wild and adventurous but still are maybe like john waters fans you know like i feel like could get into this movie and it could be shown at theaters that show stuff like that if it just wasn't so long and so punishing uh because i think so much of it is so funny and again like i Every time I start this movie, I am like, why don't I bring this to movie night with my friends? And like, <laughs> then I look at the runtime and it is like, because there's just so much <laughs> way to lose your friends. You don't want them all to <laughs> leave. Don't want to lose my friends. But like, I have friends that would love this. I just don't think they would <laughs> at a, like at hour two be like, oh my God. Yeah. Like, <laughs> that's the thing about it. Um, and I, but I, but I, I don't know. I just, I just really do appreciate the sheer uh nakedness of it and his he is airing his hatred and showing his life and his darkest kind of secret hatred kind of uh almost to the point where you don't like him because i do think there's he's sort of exposing himself in some ways like his i i mean you could say that there's some fear of minorities here and in some in some scenes if i'm being maybe i'm being ungenerous but i think there is like an whether he's in, being intentional or not, I mean, I feel like he's got to see it. It's absolutely erasial. Because it, yeah. it's there. Like, there is, like, a lot of black characters here that are, like, like he is, like his character is frightened of and are coming at him and are, like, the, some of the source of his biggest arguments and things like that. Or, 
or uh, which I don't know if you have any anything to say on that. But I mean, yeah, I don't. I'm I'm not like canceling the movie or something. I do think that's you know that is a part of of this person's life, and you know, it's definitely part of that falling down or death wish type thing where a guy is constantly besieged by the urban malice around him, which is always racially coded in some way or another. Yeah. I, you know, I don't know if you notice cause, uh, the, at the beginning, you know, that old couple is always looking out their window, like what's he doing out there? <laughs> yeah. You, you know, that couple, Yeah, there's a, I there's a them. Nazi flag on their wall. I don't know if you noticed that. No. Yeah, yeah. There's like a swastika above the TV. Okay. <laughs> I don't know if that was a built set he built either. I mean, that looked like. I, don't, I, I mean, it, I, it certainly could be. I don't want to make assumptions, but it's like that looked like a real lived-in home to me. Yeah, I must have been too distracted trying to figure out like why that couple was even in the movie. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Because we start with them like it's going to be something that factors into anything, and it doesn't really. But that's not that kind of movie. Uh, so for me, I'll be clear. I don't. I don't think Damon Packer's a Nazi here at all. I, I. But I do think that there's clearly a theme of some kind. You know, whatever it was he was trying to say, it's as big of a mystery as anything else he was trying to say in this movie. But um, uh, yeah. Um, I I would not definitely not unwatch it. I mean, I love this movie. I love Damon Packard. He's he's one of my top filmmakers of all time just because like you know again i just want to relate like you know it's not enough to just say he's like super experimental and difficult even though he is it's like i feel like he's like it's this this movie is so deeply personal to him and uh there's a lot about him that he's revealing you know that's very vulnerable even and real like, like super real like not 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 pretentious and um any movie that's as personal as this is going to have a leg up, in my opinion, even if it's just like a regular old creative type. But like Damon Packard is like this, like this intensely fascinating figure. Like he's just like one of these artists that just is constantly fueling me with curiosity. Like, what does he think? What's he trying to say? Like, you know, always trying to like trace his little subtext between his movies because they do come up again a lot, you know, and um, it's like. It's so difficult. You almost have to like learn its new language to really like truly understand what's happening. You know, it's like this Damon Packardian like alien language or something. But uh, <laughs> so it's like very difficult. But it's just it's the sort of thing that I really really appreciate. Like you know, almost like like a Daniel Daniel Johnson you know like outsider type person you know just like a total weirdo antisocial can't relate to people but it has this genius that's in his head that you know he has to communicate in a way that only makes sense to him and he's like un, un uh unapologetic about it you know um and so i i love all that stuff all right i think that's a that's a really good summary for the damon packard fan out yeah, there the one or the two uh, Seth, Seth for anybody yeah. yeah and uh that's it well you know the general the general david packard fan but so yeah he has made even though this is probably his most well-known his most notorious one you know it does feel like this is his magnum opus uh it was i guess 10 years later then that oxford came out and that's what we kind of settled on as a second one to talk about with him even though there are definitely other ones we could have gone with was there a particular reason that you think 
Oxford was the the best one to go with or the most interesting? I, I I guess I was the one who picked it. I wasn't sure really. I just said oh, I I just had seen you rate that very highly, um, and I've had always been curious about it. Yeah. So I feel like Reflections of Evil and Foxfire are definitely like the quintessential uh, Damon Packard movies, in my opinion, because his other projects um, they they're a little more narrow in their focus, uh, and they have kind of a more particular type of, of thing they're really trying to focus on. Um, whereas I feel like both Reflections of Evil and Fox Fur are very, very much like very deeply personal to Damon Packard and like speak to his whole person. And it's like another angle to look at him. I, I would I would describe like Reflections of Evil being like the social commentary of Damon Packard. I would call Fox Fur like the esoterica of Damon Packard. Uh, you know, that that's the angle in which I feel like this is looking at his brain, you know, a similar reflection of his brain. Right. Like the chemtrails side plot and reflections of evil is like where this all, yeah, the paranoia, the conspiracy. Well, this is an interesting contrast to reflections of evil because this is, this is only an hour long, which is a huge difference from the last movie. Also still, in my opinion, maybe 20 minutes longer than the ideal runtime for a Damon Packard project that he maybe could work better on a, you know, smaller scale, but it is, it definitely goes by a lot quicker. And I don't necessarily want to say that it makes more sense, but it does feel a little more, uh, like one thing is leading into another, but although I did get a sense of this still seeming a lot like discrete segments that are patched together and it it doesn't help that i guess we have different actresses who keep showing up playing the character of fox fur and which i'm not sure has that much of an intent behind it besides that he filmed this over a period of years and i assume just maybe needed to work with different actresses which is maybe kind of emblematic of his overall approach of just that ah, fuck it as opposed to a grand design, but maybe you guys have different feelings about that. Uh, yeah, he's playing with uh, continuity. There's even like a scene where he come and at to humorous effect, there's like a point where he does come out and he's like, "But you're not Foxfur. Who are you?" And she's just like, "Of course I'm Foxfur." Blah blah blah. You know, which I don't know. Again, maybe it does help if you've ever been involved with like a even a backyard movie, as like it is out of necessity it really happens where you are just like yeah you can have your vision and stuff but like is rachel really going to show up like for four shoots or is she going to show up for two shoots and and then is the movie just never going to happen or you're just going to keep going so it's like almost i don't know i i it's really charming to me there's also like a funny scene where he comes out of his car and he has a totally different haircut and she's like what what was what was that? And she's like, I got a haircut while you were asleep. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, he does at least acknowledge it. Um, but you know, most experimental movies, there's some sort of rhyme or reason to like, all right, now so a different actor's playing Bob Dylan in this scene and a different actor in this scene. And uh this just kind of seems part of, you know, his just general uh, method of of randomness and seeing what sticks. Again, it's just what what movie making on no money looks like. Also, this is filmed on digital at least it looks like it is as opposed to 16 millimeter so this does have that kind of digital uh you know 2010s look it does still have the 
overbearing sound effects at different points. It's really gorgeous looking. Uh, but not quite as much as the other one does. Yeah, it, it's weird. It's like um, everything, like you know, so the bottom line is like David Packard is just like absolutely obsessed with the 70s. It's like the best decade to him. Um, like nothing else matters but the 70s. And and you could see like in Reflections of Evil, like he, he made that 16 millimeter and you just get this idea like, he is an analog guy. And then, uh, you know, Fox fur. And then like, and then that's all you talk about, like these like AI projects he's doing online. It's just kind of like uh, him experimenting, uh, you know, for free on his cell by himself, like using AI to animate. And all of a sudden it's just like, like intensely digital, like super digital, like more digital than like almost like, you know, anyone else. I, I'm like, just like the after effects, like the whole opening scene, they're talking about like, oh, is this Final Cut Pro or Premiere? And like, oh no, brighter. And like, then you just throw out the, you just see like these like really like garish and obnoxious like lens flare, like digital lens flares, all this stuff. It's like, I don't even know what's going on at that point. He must have run out of relatives to die and leave him money for his budget. <laughs> yes, sure. <laughs> I think so. Sure, but it's like, I feel like you would mute the digital stuff. Like, if you didn't want it to look digital, you would mute it somehow. You know what I mean? If try to fake it. But he, he was like, no, this is what digital effects look like. And here, here's some overlays, green screen, chroma key, everything, everything. Yeah, he definitely learned how to use all that stuff in the meantime. There's definitely a trolling aspect to using the digital effects and just like every scene. Yeah. It's like, a, you know, like they are garish, but they're also beautiful. Like the, the way the lens flares work, they are like just, they stick out like a sore thumb. You know, it's a preset they just threw on there. That's like, sometimes it's just like a, weird splattering of whatnot across the sky that is very clearly one of those. Uh, and I'm sure it's, it's his class. It's his thing, which is like going wholesale and loving something and also like hating it from the outside. Like, I don't know. Yeah, it, it is. Uh, it reminds me sort of like, uh, like Ariel pink or something like that kind of music yes. or like, yes, like that's who good. is like, it, you're never sure where the line is between lampooning and like actually like bearing his soul and actually no, I am making a cure song that is like a beautiful like cure song where this is like yeah he just like is throwing all the effects at it as possible yeah it's a funny it's a funny contradiction going on that is I don't know yeah it works for me well and you mentioned the opening scene where she's editing something and with these two other characters that we never see again. I was I was really confused about this opening scene, which seems to have nothing to do, no bearing on anything later in the movie. And that I also just kind of hated, honestly, because I could feel that him writing what he thinks Black people sound like when they talk and their dialogue is just repeating over and over stuff like, man, all that shit is whack and damn. And... It, you know, it, it goes on and on. And I was like, I w was relieved that all that, that whole aspect just disappeared from the movie right afterwards. But uh, it was not a good start uh, for me for a movie I actually did end up liking a little more than the last one. Yeah, he, he shows his old guy card a lot. Yeah, I, I think that's that's accurate to what to what you're saying, Mark. Yeah, it, it's uh, it is it is it's weird. And and you know, what? it's if we, it doesn't help, I guess, the interpretations of the <clears throat> racial themes in the last one. But 
Yeah, I, and I'll be honest, like this one, like I felt like I can kind of justify a lot of things that happened in Reflections of Evil and, and make it make sense. And I have a harder time doing that with Fox for, I'll be honest. I, I do not know what that scene's about. Uh, other than the, like, <clears throat> well, I mean, I don't want to jump too far ahead, but like I feel like like he, there's this like big theme about um, like Scientology and aliens and uh, things like this that kind of, uh, transcendent in a in a technological sense, and so I feel like that maybe sort of uh, uh, justified the digital aesthetic, and like the, maybe there's this like kind of I don't know I, I'm stretching here. I can't make this sound very like like uh, profound, but like something between like just the digital like manipulation of things and uh, aliens. I don't I don't know, man. I'm reaching here, okay. But <laughs> there you go. But I do see his tendency like in conversation with like the digital stuff and in that i also have an affinity for like what i would immediately call new age bullshit or like conspiracy bullshit um because it's wild and interesting like but i i i do like sometimes i I spend hours like researching some of that stuff or like looking at those like weird poorly graphic designed covers and books that come out like about like that david ike does and stuff and all that so I, I imagine there's some, there's something of that. Yeah, David Icke, by the way, is in this movie. If anyone oh, knows yeah. who David Icke is, yeah, is yeah. that David Icke, this conspiracy theorist, uh, who's like not not an insignificant part either. And Bob Lazar is in it, uh, who wasn't somebody I knew about before this yeah, aliens guy. I wrote a lot of names down because yeah, again, I respond to that a lot, which is this whole like yeah, you think it's like really stupid. But I, I imagine he also has that where he's like, this is this is like this hippie bullshit or something. But it is very exciting to get lost in conspiracy and psychedelia and stuff. So I think there's something to that with this, like him sort of having a love hate relationship with it. Yeah, you know, I don't I, it's one of those things, you know, I, I wanted to muster up the bravery to like message him and ask him some questions. And I never quite got to it because for whatever reason, I don't uh, I also don't want to like get on his bad side. I want him like, you know, <laughs> but um, he, he, but it's like I, I yeah, I want to know because it's there's these things where it's just like that. And, and the thing is, I know I do know that he's kind of like. Not to, I mean, I don't want to get get too much into this here, but obviously, but like, consp- like COVID conspiracy stuff, like, like not not in like an artsy sense, like just being very straightforward about what he thinks about like COVID conspiracies, which is not, you know, it, the, the more consp- on the more conspiratorial side of things, and so it's like I think like he does identify with it. I, I yeah, I don't know. I, I'm trying to think of what to say. I'm so comp- <laughs> honestly, this is a hard movie to talk about, isn't it? It's it's like there's there's so many ways you could interpret things and and understand them and talk about them. Honestly, what's actually going on and all the ideas that it brings up. I mean, I. I really didn't follow any of it. And especially we get to the second half of this, which switches this location to like a fantasy world. And there's elf ladies and Ewoks and uh, evil security guards chasing people (laughs) around. Yeah, Foxford turns into the girl from Brave. Yeah, and it even ends with this long, long like exposition dump that reminded me of like the end of Vanilla Sky where that lady's just walking around <laughs> oh, yeah. and explaining the entire premise of everything and everything that you've seen in the movie so far to Tom Cruise. 
uh, which I was not following at all either. And then it just kind of yeah. s- yeah. stops. Yes. Like, doesn't it not even really end? It's just, it just kind of is, it doesn't go on anymore. <laughs> and there's credits. Right. The answer to why everything's happened is given by this alien lady to Foxfur. And Foxfur is basically like, really? And then it's over. Yeah. <laughs> Which you yes. also feel that way as an audience member. Yes. Um, and I guess is intentional, but. <laughs> so honestly, none of that stuff did anything for me. And so, but it's completely aside of all of the philosophical science fiction, whatever stuff that's going on. There was a section of this that I think I liked more than anything uh, in Reflections of Evil which is when she she's driving around Foxfur is driving around with this guy and he ends up going into like this hardware store and having this back and forth with the worker there who's just no matter what he asks he just keeps droning oh we don't have it and he would say don't you do you have screws and he holds up a screw he's like this I don't know this <laughs> yeah. kind of looks like a, a screw do you do you have this and he just stares at it yeah. and goes we don't have it and he's like, do you have any, do you sell anything in this store? He's like, uh, I, th- I think some like water or something. And he's like, okay, can I get some of that? Oh, we don't have it. And it gets to this ab- really absurd, uh, point where like he leaves and goes to a clothing store next door and then runs into the same guy who seems to be simultaneously working there. And, uh, I was like actually laughing throughout this part and it made me start to wonder like, does he actually have some comic chops, uh, you know, rough as they are? And, you know, there's they're playing airport announcements over the loudspeakers <laughs> yeah, I love in, that. inside this store also. And, uh, you know, occasionally when he actually acknowledges how absurd things are, like when they're driving around, there's bubbles going all around the inside of his van, just completely inexplicably. And eventually, Foxfur finally says, like, what is with all these bubbles? And he just says, don't, don't worry about that. And that stuff seemed kind of knowing to me, like when David Icke ends up, it shows up later on the movie in a wheelchair and she, and she asks, why are you in a wheelchair? He's just, I I don't know. (laughs) That is a good joke. I don't know. I relate. It was like, he was speaking to that. Yeah. That's an actual kind of humor that I think, you know, could work in like a, I think you should leave or Tim and Eric or something. Yeah. 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 No, I no, I I I think David Packard's hilarious, honestly, and like, um, you know, something I wanted to speak to, and I don't, uh, to, to, to your point is like, it, I feel like you can see his humor the most like it is acting. He doesn't act in Fox first, so you don't see it. You know, we didn't talk about that in Reflections of Evil, but I actually feel the same way about his actual acting, which he doesn't get to do a lot of conventional acting in that movie, but you can tell just from he has a distinctive look. And he does have a way with his face. And it does seem like he actually could be a guy who could pull off a kind of funny or distinctive role. It's like it's like the only type of expression in his movies that makes some palatable sense. If the, you know, like it, or at least it's like the most human and recognizable. It's like everything else is just, just off the charts, like bizarre. And and then his acting to me, it just it's like. I get, I get what he's doing there in, in an easy way. I understand what he's doing. We do get a return of some of the people with the pillows making themselves look fat. Yes, right. Love yeah. that. Hilarious. Which is, again, pretty random. Uh, but yeah, as far as 
his view of, you know, his curmudgeonness, like I said, we do have people walking around, like every civilian in the street is just walking around with their head down with the smartphones, which, you know, maybe in 20, in 2012, that was a little fresher of an idea, but there are certain shots where they're like walking backwards and stuff, which, <laughs> yeah, it's you know, adds a little bit of a flair to that. It's like, he just is throwing, like, it's like his movies are like a bucket and he's just throwing things in it. Just, just. Completely, just like, th- like, just like, almost like, like, like jazz, like. Although it's not because it's impossible to edit like jazz, so it's like, I feel like it's very interesting to me, like how many things he fits in there and just like refrains that come and go again. Like you just talk about like people walking backwards. How easy is it to just miss that? You know, he's just just totally pregnant with ideas and visuals and things. Um. It's fun. It's fun to wa- rewatch. That's that's how I see both of these movies as being more like they're closer to collages than narratives. Even though at a certain point, this one does feel like the beginning does feel like it's going to cohere as like maybe it's going to be like a road movie or some kind of it wants to be an adventure movie. And I do feel like like there's all kinds of continuity jokes and things like that. But I do feel like some of it is like he wanted to do more. He wanted to probably had a lot more on the page, probably had aspirations for a bigger movie. There's probably a reason that it's only like this awkward length of an hour rather than an hour and a half or a typical short film length. Right. Um, Which I would say like, is what's going to be a hard sell for people about this? Because I think it is, yeah, at, after, at a certain point, the, at the best points, it is like feeling like you're running through a New Age bookstore and just getting all the most crazy ideas thrown at you. And that is like, you're just in this soup. Uh, but at its worst points, it does feel like, okay, like especially towards the end, is stuff is just happening and it does kind of feel like there was intention that was missed or like glazed over or if he could have just had more money to hire the actress back or had more money to make a little bit more of the scenes flesh out, you know, more would have happened. But I guess that's the the double-edged sword of doing whatever you want and therefore you're going to get something that's totally personal and uncompromised. But if it's going to be so in in that lane, then you're never going to get enough money and resources maybe to realize what you actually, you know, want to do. But also, you know, who's to say if he's really capable of reining it all in and focusing like that, if he did have all the resources in the world, like who knows what the actual end product would be, if it would be better or worse. Hope we find out someday. I don't put this one down too much. I, I, both like, and it's back to like what I said about Reflections of Evil. Like for me, I'm like very okay with these weird movies and like kind of unorthodox presentations that they're in i just can't help but also see like if something like fox fur was fleshed out just a little bit more and did have just a little bit more of that what i do think is there like the seed of like an adventure movie like kind of robert anton wilson haywire philip k dick adventure or something if it could have been fleshed out more folks would would be into it and it might have a better chance of being in the world where this is just always going to kind of isolate people more which is okay too i guess and that said i mean my view is that 
I would not unwatch this one just because it is so much more palatable. It only took an hour of my time. And there was a stretch of it that I was genuinely enjoying like I would enjoy, you know, with any other movie, which was the the comedic stuff, which again, doesn't really factor into the big picture at all here. But it was something that I found appealing. And so maybe this, I don't know if this is a good entry point for those reasons, or if it's not a good entry point, because Reflections of Evil is so much more the entire beast of what he is about, which you might hate or you might love. <laughs> it might be a trap. Yeah. But it's, it's definitely him completely. But for, yeah, for me, this does end up getting the edge just simply for those reasons. It did not pain me. Uh, but, you know, it depends how much. Sometimes some people like, uh, you know, you need a little pain to feel I the pleasure. so good, baby. <laughs> yeah. Is there anything else that we uh, we didn't touch on with this? Or I assume you wouldn't unwatch this one either, right? No, no. Again, one of my favorites. You know, I this one more so, like, um, there's something that feels like, you know, very raw, very, very, like, kind of collage-like, almost found footage about Reflections of Evil. And this, I feel like, like, the aesthetic is, is a very it's unusually refined like there's just like like something about like fluorescent and harsh lights and colors and the digital effects as well as like the themes of david ike and bob lazar and aliens and um these things it, it bookstores like it just it all can co it has a cohesiveness to it that really makes sense to me and i really i feel like it just communicated properly in a way that i almost can't like repeat like what he was trying to get at here. Like um, there's just like a, like a, uh, a liminal quality to like it um, and just like transcendence and just all these little, I, I, there's not just hundreds of words to use, you know, I, I can't be much more detailed than that, but the, the whole ending with like this, like fantasy thing, you know, that's another tr uh, uh, thing that repeats in his movies a lot that we didn't quite see in reflections of evil is like, um, after he made Dawn of an Evil Millennium, that first short, um, he made a movie called Apple, which he actually went to Hawaii and filmed with some other actresses and stuff like that. Um, it's basically just like this like montage fantasy movie, which I really recommend. That's like it's like 10 minutes or something like that or something like that. It's, it's easy, easy, easy. And it's really good if you like that sort of thing. And then he did like Tales of the Valley of the Wind, which is that Nausicaa, you know, uh, Hayao Miyazaki thing where that comes back and here it's here again it's like you know I, I like it when directors do that I guess um, I, I like to re-explore these themes with them as they revisit it themselves I, I think Esoterica is a blast it's it's super fun and I want to listen to him talk about it so uh, yeah no I, this is great I love I love Damon Packard I love him so much all right I hope he hears this this might brighten his day. I know. I know. He might be like, they fucking don't get it. God damn it. I don't know. I know. Now, you know, he is a nice guy, I think. <laughs> no, it's true. Just don't ask him what he thinks about your music taste. <laughs> oh, yeah, I believe it. Hey, I, I like this one. I love the that it's the visually just like candy. It, it it totally gaudy and ridiculous, but it's in the aesthetic of, yeah, like a, a, a sun shimmer on a rain droplet or something like everything is just shining rainbows and all that. And it, and again, like it, I think it really works well with the content, which is all about that sort of like 
wide-eyed, wild, like psychedelic conspiracy and everything. I can't help but uh, have you ever seen Secrets of the Shadow Realm by George Kuchar? I love that. That's yeah. another one. It was in my top four for a long time. That's one of my favorite things they ever did. I love that movie. And that's what I feel like this, I, it would be wild yes. if this wasn't somehow in conversation with. So yeah, if anybody had, does see Fox for and wants more, like you'll get a lot more with Secrets of the Shadow Realm, which is kind of similarly like playing with like weird, like Windows Movie Maker, like shitty effects and like kind of docu style, like setups and things like that. But also like similarly has, uh, you know, paranormal like figureheads like John Keel in the movie and all these like Bigfoot experts in the movie just how uh, David Icke is in this movie. Uh, yeah, it's awesome and totally worth checking out if you like this. All right. I think we've laid out what these movies are like. And based on that, you'll probably know whether or not it's something that you want to dip your foot into. So Godspeed, everyone. Uh, Jacob, I want to, not to put you on the spot here, but the last uh, um, guest that we had on, we did, ask him a, a five-question questionnaire real quick. And um, so if you're game here, and I know I, I didn't think to maybe send these ahead, that's ahead of time to you, but, you know, whatever. You can take your time. We can edit this or whatever we need to do. But uh, it's not quite inside the actor's studio, but I would be interested just to get a basic, you know, sense of you. If you have one, um, what is your favorite film? Uh, you know, I have these compartments of film, you know, and I, I'll, I'll, I'll rate like, you know, like SOV horror, for example, like, you know, I'll put that pretty high up on my list and, uh, body horror, you know, artsy body horror, Cronenberg, you know, that's high on my list. Um, my favorite film, I'm going to go back up and say, that my favorite film, because I haven't watched anything like this in so many years, and then I wouldn't be watching the weird movies I watch now unless I didn't watch it, is Stalker by Andrei Tarkovsky. Because uh, ooh, okay, yeah, yeah, I, this it's one of those curveballs. It's just that was what I that's what I said for years and years and years, and and I feel like something happened to me where I stopped taking. I don't know what happened. I maybe I just like don't take life as seriously or something. I don't know if it's a good thing or a bad thing, but I have not watched something beautiful and artsy like that in a very long time. And yeah, I is all I owe my debt to cinema to movies like that. So yes, that's what I'll say. All right, great answer. So can you think of a film where your opinion significantly changed over time or having revisited it? Whether something you hated and that you now loved, or maybe something you really liked that you do not anymore. Mm, that's a great question. Yeah. So, so I'm just going to cheat here. I'm going to pull up my letterbox and just because there's a couple, I think there's a couple that I think I did that too. Um, uh, okay. So this is, I, I'm kind of being more personal about this. It's not like these aren't like the, like probably the most dramatic examples, but these are ones that really like open my eyes to movies. And that would be so Robocop. Um, Cause I watched that like in maybe I was like 10 or 11 and I was not allowed to watch R rated anything. Like I like, I was like probably 14 when I watched my first PG 13 movie. Like, um, and I somehow watched RoboCop and I was really excited. I was expecting something gritty and hardcore. And I was just like, 
That was so stupid. I hated it. And then it's like, I just, I mean, I just didn't get it. It's like, there's like, I just remember so clearly in my mind that end scene where it's like the guy's melting from the like toxic waste and sludge and he gets hit by a car and explodes into a splash of just like, you know, mutant goo. And I was just like, this movie is trying to make me stupider. And I just did not understand. And I'm like, (laughs) I am so far beyond understanding what I was thinking that day. uh, Now, you know, 20, 30 years later, like, it's I, I I just do not understand camp. I, you know, I'm I'm baffled by myself for not understanding camp. And I guess I just have to remember that that's how a lot of people that I know and talk to every day think about movies and why I uh, am weird and they're not. Yeah, they still don't get there. Yeah. Um, but I know obviously I love RoboCop. It's a classic. You know, it, it's just that first movie that I never that I was exposed to camp and didn't quite get it i think a lot of people who saw that movie as kids had a a revelation when they were older and watched it and picked up on how satirical and just you know funny it is as opposed to it just being about a robot cop (laughs) i'm not sure that registered to me when i was a kid either right well i you know what i'll tell you it's like it it, there's it's, it's it is an artful movie you know and i think what i wanted was it to be artful in a more art housey way you know and i it, 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 it showed me what, that there's a different type of art out there, you know? All right. Then question number three is what is your most unpopular opinion regarding either a particular movie or something about movies in general, something where you feel alone on an Island often? Oh, well, sure. Well, you know, Seth pointed out like, you know, he, how how obscure some of the stuff I watch is. I mean, it's not super, super obscure, but um, I watch my, my, I'm proud to say that my big fault is I love too much. Okay. I, I, I know, I, I don't think, I can't really think of anything that everyone loves that I really hate. Like I can find something, like I can understand why anyone would appreciate almost anything. Um, even if I don't appreciate it myself, but like, there's these movies I, I want to shout out right now. Okay. Um, the right family, right family films. That is a homeschool film, uh, homeschool family that lives in new England right now. Um, troubled past. Okay. Them and their daughters, uh, are evangelical Christians, uh, radically. So, and they sit there and they make movies as they homeschool. And these are like, you know, sometimes written and directed by 11 year olds. Okay. Nobody that I know, even online, I mean, I, with the exception, there's a few, you know, kindred spirits here. But, but like, if people knew that I like this and I'm uh, like, they would think something's wrong with me for sure. Like, like some type of brony, <laughs> you know, like I'm so, like some weird species of brony, you know, like what is wrong with you? You're watching a movie written by an 11 year old homeschooler and it's shot. I mean, it's it's. It's weird. Okay, I'll, I'll say that. Like, it's it's the about as low quality as you can get. Um, so I'm already sold, to be honest. But I'm on the island with you, I guess. Yeah, check out the badge, the Bible, and Bigfoot. Hell yeah! It's about an ex cop who gets in a fist fight with Bigfoot. Uh, what would you consider an unwatchable movie for you personally, or the most unwatchable movie for you? So, like any any art house movie made in the last twenty years, basically. <laughs> anything in particular you know i i i'm just being sour maybe because i just feel so like um 
protective of my lowbrow, uh, you know, film world. But like, I just feel so distant from these movies that uh, come out. And it feels like, you know, how deep is it? Like how, you know, just people manifesting their inner misery to each other and, and being pessimistic and, uh, you know, isolation and, and all these awful feelings when, you know, it's just not deep to me anymore. Basically it's not deep to me anymore. I'm not, I'm not impressed by it anymore. And I don't want to watch it. I want to watch Damon Packard puke out bean soup. Okay. He pukes a lot of it too. Well, given everything that you've just said, I think I'll probably know the answer to this, but this is the final question that I always ask. And that is Southland tales. Damn it. Good or bad? Oh my gosh, I feel so ashamed. I have not watched that one. Um, it's Whoa. come on my radar, and I have this weird thing. I have this weird thing where if I know a movie's going to be really good and make an impression on me, I'm just perpetually saving it for a future time I'm in a better mood. Like, and I have to stop doing that because I that's just that's one that I know is going to make an impact. I know it is. It's good. It's that, good. I'll say that, that without watching that seems it. Very it's good. you. <laughs> okay it seems very i can guarantee yeah. that uh as you can tell mark is a huge southland tales fan and i can't stand it <laughs> yeah 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 mark i i no uh you and me mark we should have i i could torture you in ways that you would unforeseen like you know. <laughs> <laughs> whoa i would love yeah, that yeah. yeah it sounds like i could i could torture you too so i'll i'll come and we can watch something on youtube at your place and then you can come with me to the local art theater and <laughs> yeah. uh we'll see who breaks first it's a great idea can i just watch your faces the whole movies like you know it'd be great it would just be lovely yeah <laughs> All right, well, Jacob, this was a ton of fun. Is there anything that you want to say to our listeners or plug or any upcoming videos or anything that you want to tease us with or direct people towards? Well, you know, you brought it up in before. I'll just say again, you know, I have that little YouTube channel I'm trying to, you know, pick up with uh, the Sludge Surfer. That's my name. And um, just trying to get some stuff out with that. Just a fun hobby for me. Nothing too serious. But, you know, if, if, if you like my hot takes, then maybe you'll get a little more there. Um, but I, I appreciate being invited again. I'm like I'm like a reply guy. And, and you all invited me here. It's great to talk to movies. It's great to find kindred spirits. Absolutely. I'm feeling kindred. All right. Well, once again, that is uh, Sludge Surfer. Did I get that right? Yes, that's right. On YouTube or Wormy on Letterboxd. And thank you uh, for joining us. Yes, Mark, Seth, thank you both for having me. It's been, a, it's been great. It was a pleasure surfing. <laughs> Unwatchables is produced by Tony Scarpetti. Hosted by me, Mark Dottavio, and Seth Troyer, with artwork by Micah Krauss. You can find Seth and I on Letterboxd under Mark Dottavio and Sloth Troyer. You can also check us out at unwatchablespod.com for links to our Twitter and Instagram, or support us on Patreon for bonus content and to have a say in what we watch. Thanks for listening. I see footage, I see footage, I see